0: This morning we'll be in Romans chapter 12. Over the last nine months we've taken a careful look at the first 11 chapters and we've gotten a lot of gospel, to be honest. We have thought about the saving relationship that we can have with God. But what should we do with all this focus on the gospel? How should it impact us individually and corporately as a body? Well, these last five chapters in Paul's letter move now from the theological to the practical. But we shouldn't think that now we have a separate section, like, you know, we're all done with that theological talk, so now let's move on to the practical because that's what I really need. That's not what Paul's saying at all. He's he's saying he's, he's going to show us that this practical actually uh, rises out from or grows out of the theological section. So if you think of chapters 1 through 11 as theological, focus on the Gospel, then chapters 12 through 16 say, what do we do in response to the Gospel? And this is what we do. We should live lives that are full of peace and and, uh, and truth and obedience. In the first two chapters, we saw that we deserved God's righteous anger because of our sin, no matter if we're Jew or Gentile. But God stepped in while we were enemies and made a way for us to come to Him. And He did it by sending Jesus Christ to pay for our sins. And we saw that all of that was grace. This undeserved mercy poured out on us by God. And when we think of God's mercy, as we saw last week, it should compel us to speak praise to God. That's what Paul does at the end of chapter 11. Right? He says, "Oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom, knowledge of God. It should cause us to praise God, but it should also, God's mercy should also do something else in us. It should cause us to praise God not with just our lips but also our lives. Let me read our passage for us, beginning in verse one. This is the Word of God. Therefore, I urge you brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving or he who teaches in his teaching or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. God's mercy compels us to engage in the process of total transformation. Or we could say it very simply, God's mercy compels us to be transformed. As we come to understand the mercy of God, it should compel us to this process of total transformation. These first two verses in chapter 12 serve as a transition for us between the indicative, what has happened, and the imperative, what we should do. You do this or you do not do this. In other words, the proper response to God's grace and salvation is that we engage in this process of total transformation. That these two verses here really serve as as the foundation for all of the commands that are going to come In the last five chapters, the focus of these final chapters is how we, as a multi ethnic group of believers, that would include, particularly for Paul's group, Jews and Gentiles, how we can live in the same body of believers in a way that's marked by peace and forgiveness. How can we do this? Well, it starts with this foundational principle that is, that we offer our bodies as sacrifices. Let me begin by showing you how these verses are connected to the previous 11 chapters. Verse 1, it says, Therefore I urge you, and then notice, brethren, by the mercies of God. Therefore shows that Paul's not starting a brand new thought, but rather he's continuing a thought or building upon what he had said in previous chapters. Notice this phrase, by the mercies of God. Well, what is he talking about? I like how the NIV translates it here. It says, in view of God's mercy. Or the New Living Translation says, because of all that God has done for you. That's the idea there. When it says, by God's mercy, it means because of God's mercy. So we could say it this way. In light of all that we know of God's mercy in chapters 1 through 11, that is, everything that brought us to salvation... All the mercies that we needed to to come to salvation, but also the mercies that will lead us safely home, right? There, there is this grace that's brought us safely, uh, that safe this far, and then this grace that will lead us home. And so, all those mercies that we know about, both before and during salvation, that will lead us all the way to the end, those are the mercies that we need to keep in view. And based on those mercies, here's the appeal. Notice it in verse one. Present your bodies. So what are we supposed to do with all this knowledge of God's mercy? The answer is that that we ought to use it to motivate us to present our bodies. And and what we should see here is that, that we actually have a responsibility to contribute to the process of sanctification, of growth in godliness. Paul doesn't allow us, the Holy Spirit doesn't allow us to just sit back and wait for God to zap us into spiritual transformation. You know, God, you saved us. You're going to take me all the way to the end, so do it. I'm not going to do anything. The word here, this command, to present, is a word that, we, that was used in chapter 6 to describe the former way of life, that we used to present our, the members of our bodies as instruments of unrighteousness. That's what we used to do. And so what God is saying here to us through Paul is, listen, the way you used to use your body, the way you used to use your mind, stop doing that and start using it for me as a living sacrifice. The analogy that Paul uses is is this living sacrifice. Kind of um, paradoxical there, right? A sacrifice is dead. You you offer a dead sacrifice. But here he's saying, don't kill yourself for God. What What he's saying is, Offer your current living body in full submission to God as an object of God's uh, service, as an offering fit for God's use. Offer your whole person. That's the idea. Not just your body, my external being, not my mind. And my mind belongs to me. I'll give God my body, my hands, my eyes, and things like that, but not my mind. That's not the idea. He's saying your whole person. Give it in service to God. And notice what the result will be at the end of Verse 1 that it will be acceptable to God that it'll be acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship in other words God will be pleased as you offer yourself to God based on all the mercies that you've seen him do you give yourself to God then God will be pleased it's acceptable to him and really it's it's not only acceptable to God but it is it is what he expects of us see that last phrase It's your spiritual service of worship. This idea of spiritual service is a true form of worship. In other words, the way that we are pleasing to God is that we are offering our lives to God for His service. So we don't just take on the name Christian, but we actually live the life of a Christian so that all of our life will be given to God in worship. Here's what. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, he says, If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. So, there is an expectation there, isn't there, for, for us when we come to Christ, not to just sit back and float down the lazy river of the spiritual life. There's no such thing. But instead, we give our lives in love to the Lord. Our bodies don't belong to us, do they? They belong to God. And the very least that we could do is to give... Ourselves, our whole person, in full service to our Master who owns us and who bought us with the blood of His Son. So, what does this process of total transformation look like? In other words, how do we how do we engage in it? How do we do this? If we're supposed to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, how do we do it? Well, I think the answer is given for us in verse two. And the first thing we need to see is that this process of total transformation is not automatic. First one was total total transformation is motivated by God's work because of God's mercy. It's motivated by God's work. And then second, this process of total transformation—how do we do it? Well, we need to recognize first that it's not automatic, and so we need to engage in the process. Notice, and do not be conformed to this world. Now, if we're a believer, it's guaranteed that we're going to enter into this process, but it's not automatic. That is, God's not expect—we can't wait around for God to zap us. You know, just zap us into conformity. The only way that true worship can happen is through our resisting of conformity to the world and by renewing our mind. So, verse 1, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, cannot happen apart from verse 2. They go together. Verse 1 happens when we resist the conformity of the world and we renew our minds. That's how we do it. So, we need to engage in the process of transformation, and the way that we do that is first by not being conformed to the world. That is this evil world's system, which is led by the God of this world, Satan, small G. And what is he trying to do? He's constantly trying to squeeze us into his mold, right? And so all these different ideas that are out there that we hear at work, we hear on the, the news, we we just hear from our own flesh our own mind, our own sinful minds. Those types of things are trying to squeeze us into the, the mold of Satan. And so the exhortation for us is, listen, God has changed you. And so here's what your responsibility is. Here's what my responsibility is. We need to be changed by the Spirit. We need to be complicit with what the Spirit's doing. He's trying to keep us uh, from the world. He's trying to keep us from, from giving into the world. And so we need to resist And that requires that we swim upstream. Because if we stop swimming, we will die. We need to fight for every breath spiritually because if we stop breathing, we have no life. And so we need to be engaged in this battle against the world. That doesn't mean we get out our our swords and our guns and things and start going after people. That's not my point. My point is that this world system is trying to conform our minds. Do you see? and we can't allow it to. So how do we avoid that? How is it that we avoid being conformed to this world? Notice the next phrase in verse 2. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we may prove what is good, what what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. If we're going to avoid being conformed to this world, that's that's a um, that's a command that we are to not be conformed. And the way that we do that is by being transformed, by the renewing of our mind. And this word transformed comes from a Greek word that's used only one other time in 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from one image of glory to the next, just as with the, uh, with the Lord the Spirit. So the, the point is, is that as we look into God's Word, we move from one level of glory, that is one level of spiritual maturity, to the next level of glory. We move, we, we advance. As we're being transformed, that's that idea of metamorphosis. In fact, the Greek uh, word is very similar to the word from which uh, the word which we have for metamorphosis is that transformation process that God expects us to engage in. So if we're going to not be conformed to the world, then we have to be transformed. We have to be metamorphosized. Notice the the, the voice of the, the verb there, be transformed. That's a passive voice, not active voice. It doesn't say transform yourself. This is something that we need to allow the Spirit to do because we can't do it on our own. That's the point. So you be transformed. in other words, be complicit with this, what the Spirit is already doing in you. As a believer, he's working to change you. so accept that. don't resist the spirit. Instead, be transformed. allow him to change you. And, and, and what he's calling for is not something that we need this he's not saying get saved again. you know keep getting saved. He's saying you, you've already been, you've already been transformed in one sense, right? Where you've been called out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. But you need a constant transformation. I need a constant transformation as we go through the Christian life because the world is constantly trying to pull us away. We're constantly drifting. We are swimming upstream effectively. And so we need to to, to engage in this activity. We, instead of passively, see, if you think about it like a stream, okay, if you just stop swimming, you're going to go downstream, and the downstream here is being squeezed into the world's mold. You will be conformed to this world if you do nothing. That's the point. That's not what believers do. They actually move towards positive holiness, and that means work. That means going against the flow. That means it's going to be a difficult uh, battle for you. That's what the Christian life is all about, isn't it? It's a spiritual battle. And if we stop fighting, we will lose. Notice the process. This process, as we engage in it, pleases God. At the end of the verse it says, so that you may be able to prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, in the first part of verse... I'm sorry, the first verse says that these things are acceptable to God. You offer your body, it's acceptable to God. Here it says, this is how you find out what God's will is. That the more you renew your mind, the more you know what pleases God and you do those things. The more you, 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 um, you conform yourself to what the Spirit is doing, the more you, you agree with what God's doing in the world. The more that you see that what God is doing is right. I think that's the idea, that you approve what God is doing in the world. Instead of seeing some kind of tragedy that happens outside of you, maybe on the news, or a tragedy that happens in your own life, and saying, what kind of God is that? You know, responding like the world might respond. You know, God must hate me. No, instead of doing that, we, we say, no, God's will is right. Why? Because I've been conforming myself to the Word of God. We're not resisting His will. Instead, we're agreeing with it and He is pleased in it. We acknowledge what it is that, that makes God's ways right and good and perfect. So, do you find yourself consistently resisting God and His ways? Do you find yourself bulking at His direction in your life? Do you ever look at any of the works of God that He's done for you? Or... He's brought certain trials into your life. Do you look at those and count those as evil? As if God's bringing about evil in your life. Then what you need to have is your mind transformed by the power of the Gospel. And if you don't actively work toward that transformation process with the help of the Holy Spirit, then the world will conform you into its mold. And you will be following after the desires of Satan. So, this is the foundation for all the commands that we're going to get in the rest of, of the letter to the Romans. Our recognition of our responsibility to be transformed should be shaped, it should shape everything that we do. God, I am giving myself wholly to you all of my life, not just my Sundays, but all of my life is worship to you. And I'm going to give myself in service to you. I'm going to know you more. I'm going to do your will. I'm going to accept your will as right. I'm not going to be conformed to this world. Instead, I'm going to be transformed by the renewing of my mind as the Word shapes me. And as we do that, as we offer ourselves, our whole selves, to God and and willingly seek this process of transformation, then it shapes the way that we serve. Notice, God's mercy demands our genuine humility. So first, God's mercy demands our total transformation. And this total transformation actually fuels our humility. Verse three, it fuels our humility. For through the grace given to me, I say to every one among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. The way that we think about the gospel will shape the way that we live. The the way that we think about the gospel will shape the way that we think about ourselves. And what Paul is saying is the danger is that if we are not shaped by the gospel, who God is, who we are in light of God, what the world is, if we don't shape our thinking by the gospel, then we're going to think wrongly of ourselves. In this case, we will think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Do you see that? He's saying, don't do that. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Now, in this phrase... He's, or in this command, he's actually assuming that we should have some thought of ourselves, right? Sometimes we think, well, I'm a Christian. God is the God of the universe, and so I'm a spiritual zero. And you know, before you came to Christ, before I came to Christ, I was a spiritual zero. But in Christ, we are not spiritual zeros, are we? Instead, we have to have a balanced view of ourselves. But here's the problem our problem is usually not that we th- think of ourselves too lightly. And that's why Paul gives this command. Our problem is we think of ourselves too highly, don't we? That we're better than we actually are. And and so, what is the remedy? How is it that we think of ourselves humbly? And the answer is in the second part of the verse. Think so as to have sober or sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So as you're renewing your mind, by the Word of God, to be more like Christ, then you seek to have a proper view of yourself, a sound judgment, a sober judgment. Keep yourself in view of who God is. Don't get on this high pedestal as if you are the all-important being in the world. And and the way that we do this is through through spiritual um, renewal. That is, we continue to to focus on the scriptures. Notice the last part of the verse there that as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. The idea there is not that God has given each different amounts of faith. You know, some people they've got a little bit of faith, some other people they have a lot of faith. That's not the idea. Instead, it's the idea that God has given each believer the gift of faith according to his grace. So, as God has given out measures of faith, he's given out faith to different people and he has then we must assess ourselves realistically. So, God has given you a measure of faith to believe in Him and to see yourself properly. So use what God has given you to evaluate yourself properly. That is, that you are no better than any other person who is called out of sin. Right? You and I are not better than anyone else who has been called out of sin. We all were sinners in need of God's grace. None of us God saw no good in any one of us because there was no good in any of us. And the reason I know that is because of Romans 3. Do you see how the Gospel actually helps to, to, to shape how we think of ourselves? Romans 3 says that there is not one who is righteous, not even one, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that all of us... Uh, there there was no good in any one of us. And so when God saved us, we did, we shouldn't say, you know, like the Pharisees, well, you know, I'm better than they are because I had the law and I didn't have all the sin in my background and in my history and all that. No, no, we are all on the same plane when it comes to our, our standing before God. That we are all sons and daughters of, of, of God and, and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. And so we should not be proud about ourselves. We should not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to because of our position in Christ, right? We have all been allotted a measure of faith. And then also we shouldn't think too highly of ourselves because of verses 4-8. through eight. And that is our interdependence upon the rest of the members of the body of Christ. Right? If we think of ourselves in terms of who we are in Christ, we should not be thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to, but also as we think about our interdependence within the body of Christ, that, that we are here to serve one another. And no one of us no one of us is, is a more important um, body part, okay, in terms of Christ's body. And no one of us is, is a better member and a more important member of the body of Christ. And so our job is to, to live in selfless service. And the way that we do that is by recognizing the value of diversity. Verse 4. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ. So first he talks about diversity. Verse 4. There are many members with different functions. Is that true? Yes, he's going to list out what some of those functions are. And so we need to recognize that the Holy Spirit has not given to every single believer the same kinds of gifts. He hasn't given everyone the same gifts. He hasn't given them the same functions. And so we need to recognize that there is great strength in our diversity. We actually are a better... Okay, think of your human body. Your, Your body is actually better because it's not all made up of thumbs. Right? You have lots of different body parts that do lots of different functions, and it's a good thing that you have those different body parts, right? But no one body part is better than the other. Verse 5, we need to recognize not only the strength in our diversity, but the strength in our unity. So we, who are many, so all these different parts, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So yes, we are diverse, we have different functions, but we should also acknowledge, and this is where the humility comes in, That that our diversity is important and it helps for our unity. That there is interdependence here that we have with one another. You see that in the text, verse 5? Individually members, so that's the diversity, of one another. That's the unity. So in this case, we have various gifts, and yet they're all meant for the same corporate benefit. To build up the body of Christ. So, what are some of those gifts? So, if there is strength in diversity, we all have different functions, and there is strength in unity, that they all work towards the needs of the body, then what should we do? And here it is, verses 6 through 8. We should exercise our gifts. Here it's stated in verse 6. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each is to exercise them accordingly. So, we have varying gifts... And if they are going to be any benefit to the body of Christ, then the gifts need to be used as they're designed to be used. Now what's going to follow here is a list of several different kinds of gifts. And what you need to recognize is that this list is not exhaustive. If you want to look at some other gifts that Paul lists, 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4. What he's doing here in chapter 12 is not saying, here's all the gifts that there possibly could be, so find out which one's yours. He's saying, here's an example of some of the gifts that there are. Here's seven of them. And the point is that whatever gift you have or gifts that you have, use them for the benefit of the body. You are individually members. You have your gifts, but use it for the sake of the body. So here's the first one. Prophecy. End of verse 6. Okay, prophecy. In the Old Testament, a prophet would receive direct revelation, to God, uh, direct revelation from God, and his job was to take that revelation and pass it on to God's people. Now, in our age, God no longer uses direct revelation, at least until the, um, the Tribulation and the Millennial Kingdom. But, but He does give us the responsibility, some, to have this gift, this responsibility to proclaim God's Word to pass on God's Word to other people. And so this specific appeal is to, notice verse 6, to do it according to the proportion of his faith. That is, uh, don't boast about your gift, just like like it was to each according to the measure of faith in verse 3. Don't think more highly of yourself just because you have the gift of prophecy. Instead, humbly use that gift for God's service. Number two, service. Service, verse 7. If if service, so if the Spirit has given you this gift of service, then use it for serving. Now, we could say, well, wait, all the spiritual gifts would have that, right? They are they're all have some aspect of service. And that's true. And that's why I think Paul is probably speaking, speaking of something specifically here. Some specific office, perhaps, maybe the office of deacon. Because this word service actually has the same root, root word as the word deacon. And so this probably had to do with specific, care, specific needs in the body, whether officially as a deacon or unofficially. And notice how these people who are given this gift are to use these gifts in serving. In other words, you may have this gift of serving, but don't use it for your benefit. Use it for the benefit of the body, for the sake of the person you're serving. Number three, teaching. Teaching so or he who teaches in his teaching, if God has given you the gift of teaching then do it faithfully. could be in a formal classroom or it could be in an informal way like parents to children or older believers to younger believers. Whatever the case, if God has given you the gift to teach principles of God's word to other people, then do it for the benefit of the person not to advance your own position or to advance your own cause. Number four, exhortation. Verse eight, exhortation. Or he who exhorts in his exhortation. This word exhortation is a synonym for the word encouragement, which means to build someone up. Paul used that same word in verse one. He says, I encourage you, I exhort you, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies. This is what Paul's doing there. And, and so you may not be the apostle or the preacher necessarily to, to be able to to exhort in that way, but but the point is, is there are people like Barnabas who didn't have a formal role in the sense that he got up in front of people and just gave out a lot of encouragement. Instead, he probably took people side by side, like he did with Priscilla and Aquila, and took them side by uh, took them to the side and just gave them an appropriate word for the need of the moment. That's what encouragement is. Again, not the purpose of for the purpose of you know, putting another um, notch on his belt or anything, but but for the purpose of encouraging the person who's doing the work of God. And so if that's your gift, then do it for the sake of exhorting that person. Number five, giving. Or if giving, if, if he who gives, if God's given you the gift of giving, then do it with liberality. Now certainly all of us have a responsibility to give, so don't say, well, you know, other people have gifts, to, the gift of giving, so I'm not going to give anything. No, he's saying some of you have a special ability, and I believe that's the case. I, I see it in some of you that the way that you respond to specific situations is you're quick to step up and and offer yourself and your resources. And he's saying, if that's your gift, then do it with what? What does it say there in the text? With liberality. Or, in other words, with simplicity, with singleness of heart, not with an ulterior motive. Like, if I give this to them, then they might be able to advance me in this way, or they they might be able to say something to someone else so that they see me and I'll get more praise. No, instead, do it with singleness of mind. With liberality, that's the idea of liberality in this context. Not so that everybody knows about your giving, but just to do it out of your generosity. Number six, leading. Leading. He who leads with diligence. This idea here probably has to do with some uh, administrative function. In order to keep things efficient and and moving, moving in a proper direction, you need somebody who's going to be a leader, who, who actually sets out in a direction and encourages people to follow behind. It's not someone who's just good at barking out orders, but the term here has the idea of one who presides over. So probably referring to an official capacity within the body of Christ. And so what is your job as a leader? Well, the text tells you to do it with diligence. Because the temptation is that if you have this gift of leadership that people just naturally follow you, then, then you can make that position about you. And then you can punt on your responsibilities when in fact you're supposed to be leading in a way that helps and builds up the body of Christ. Finally, number seven, mercy. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Is there someone who's sick, afflicted, struggling? If you have the gift of mercy, then then your heart, their hurt becomes your hurt. right? You, you think of specific ways to care for them, to, to visit them, to call them, to send a card, to pray for them regularly. And the temptation for us as believers, it, for, particularly for those who have the gift of mercy, is to become downcast and pessimistic. Oh, another tragedy. This is terrible. But we must do this with cheerfulness because it actually helps to strengthen the person and, and fix their... Gaze on God. But no matter what gift you have, the truth to remember is that it needs to be used for the sake of the body. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, 19? I would rather speak five words that people could understand that would actually instruct people rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. You see, what was happening is the tongues actually became a kind of a prominent role, a a desired role. Like people wanted to do it because it, it kind of gave them a little bit of credibility. And, and it kind of showed how, how great they were. And Paul's saying, I'd rather speak five words that people can understand. Why? Because that actually builds up the body. The 10,000 words, if they're not interpreted, spoken in tongues, do no good. And so the point is no matter what role you have, no matter what gift you've been given, use it in a way that, that builds up the body. So let me just give you a few applications to obey. Number one, focus your mind and affections on the mercy of God. Your motivation to serve comes from your understanding of the Gospel. If you are waning in your desire to serve the body of Christ, then it is because you are waning in your understanding of the mercies of God. We should not be involved in our acts of ministry, rather formally or informally, in a way that's begrudging but rather in a way that's lovingly serving our Master out of a heart that's motivated by this miraculous work that God has done for us in salvation. And so if you're, lacking, if you're la- lagging in your spiritual duties, if you have become lackadaisical in your responsibilities, if you want to be more faithful, then you need to focus on God's mercy. Because all the motivation that you need to serve, all the fuel that you need, to, to cause your heart to rise up and do this with love is in the Gospel. And I would say specifically focus on the first 11 chapters of Romans, right? Remember that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Remember that, that you were once at war with God, but through Jesus, you are now at peace with God, justified by faith. faith. Remember that God freely gave up His Son and so He will be willing to freely give you also all these other things. God can be trusted. And so we need to focus on God's character and on His love for us. And as we focus on His love, it causes us to show love to one another. Remind yourself of what Christ did for you on the cross. Bask in the light of God's glory. Know the Gospel more. Meditate on the Gospel more. If you don't trust God, you don't serve God like you should, it is because of no fault of God. He has given you everything that you need to serve him. If you don't trust God, it's because you don't know God. Here's how Paul explains it in 2 Corinthians five fourteen. He says, "For the love of Christ controls us." What he's saying there is the love that Christ has for me actually compels me to serve him, to try to bring every thought into captivity, to to try to give my life in service. If we're going to engage in this process of transformation. It starts with our recognition of God's love for us. So number two, engage in the process of transformation. Notice it is, in verse 2, it is be renewed, be transformed. It's a passive verb, but it still requires our activity, right? God has made you into new, new creation, but He did not simply make you to preserve you from an eternal hell. He didn't, make you, uh, he didn't make you into new creation just so that you could get out of hell but instead so that you would be lifted up as a trophy of His grace, so that you would radiate His glory, so that when people looked at what, this great work that He's done in you, that you would reflect how great of a God He is. That you're like the moon is to the sun. It reflects how brilliant the sun is, right? Because it reflects the light from the sun and still provides light for us at night. Amazing. And that's how we are to God. God is like the sun. We are like the moon. And We reflect His glory. And that's what God created you for, for good work. So enter into this process. God is working in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And so you need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, Philippians 2. Engage in this process by renewing your mind. Don't be complicit with what the world is trying to do. Instead, be complicit with what the Spirit is trying to do, which is to, to transform you. So that means when you hear the Spirit of God speaking... And don't think audibly or through a still, small voice, but, but through His Word. When you hear the Spirit speaking and say, listen, there are specific areas in your life that you need to change, then respond to Him. Obey. Actively engage in the spiritual battle. How do we do this? How do we renew our mind? Well, I think it's like the old um, computer adage, garbage in, garbage out. Right? If you put in terrible programming, you're going to get out a terrible program. The same thing is true with our minds, right? That, that, that we need to, to guard our minds against the evil that is trying to, to transform our minds to be like the world and then instead fill it up with what? Fill it up with God's thoughts. Because whatever it is that you fill your mind with is what you're going to think. And how you think is going to determine how you speak and how you act. So fill up your mind with things that are pleasing to God. This is the expectation and responsibility of every single believer. Our minds are constantly in need of being transformed. That's why we meet so often. Do you realize that? Like, why are we here again? Right? We already heard, we already know a lot of this stuff. It's because we are constant, our minds are constantly being, are drifting away and we constantly need to be reprogrammed, don't we? We need to be modified and changed. Finally, use your spiritual gifts to help the needs of the body. What gifts and abilities has God gifted you? As we're going through the list, is there any that stuck out to you specifically? Well, you have a responsibility as an individual member of this body to provide for the body and do it for the sake of the body. So let me encourage you to think of whatever your spiritual gift or gifts are, think of three ways that you can use your spiritual gift to advance the work of of Christ here in this church. Write those things down and then pray that God will use you to help carry those things out. It's a practical way that you can use your gifts for the sake of the body. The Gospel was given to us for our good and so that our church would be built up. So allow the blessings of the Gospel to to fuel you, to motivate you, to transform you so that your life will be an expression of a worshipful heart that God is conforming to be like Christ. Let's pray. Father, there is much here that, that we can um, reflect on and meditate on. And uh, Lord, we first of all want to acknowledge Your your worth and Your greatness. And Lord, we have been so amazed just going through these first 11 chapters thinking about how, how much mercy You've poured out on us despite our sin. How much mercy You continue to pour out on us every day. And Lord, we can't stop thinking about what Christ did for us on the cross, that that He, as though I was accursed and left alone, and, and I, as though He was embraced or am embraced and welcomed home. And so, Lord, we give ourselves in service to You, offer ourselves as living sacrifices, which is pleasing to You, and really the, the least that we can do. It's a, it's a spiritual service of worship help those kinds of thoughts to to fuel us and to change us and to cause us not to resist Your will, not to resist Your Spirit's leading, but instead to follow it gladly, to gladly obey Your commands. Lord, we often know what we are supposed to do, but we simply don't want to do it. And so we need Your strength. We need Your Spirit to continue to guide us through Your Word. Lord, fill us up with truths about Your Word and use this body of believers to encourage us along the way, to challenge us where necessary. Help us, each one of us, to use our various gifts to help out the needs of the saints. There are so many needs within this body of people who are going through deep troubles and need to have mercy shown to them. They need, to have, um, they, they need some, a gift, frankly. They need to have things taken care of. They need to be prayed for. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to use the the resources that you've given to us to help the needs of the body. And we do this all because we want to be transformed, to be like our Savior, who is the perfect model of this life of service and obedience. And so Lord, help us in this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.